Hi, everyone. Oh, goodness. Is it time to do this again, Saji? <laughs> oh, my God. When was it? Two weeks ago? Yeah, just two weeks ago. Um, but there is a turkey day in between. Yes, yes. The nice enough Thanksgiving, right? Yes. Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> the nice enough time. Well, hey, we have a special guest today who actually, um, um, we talked about like blowing up the podcast to now all of our LAC cohort. And so we're lucky to be joined today um, uh, by uh, Dr. Shanna Combs, who's our OBGYN clerkship. Yay, Shanna. Hello. Good. Yes. Good day, y'all. <laughs> yes. So Shanna, um, before we um, get going, um, you know, the, the group here are our LIC1 preceptors. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and then we'll be talking a little bit more uh, about professionalism a little bit later. Um, so I'm Shanna Combs. I'm a general obstetrician and gynecologist. Um, I work in Fort Worth um, and currently working as a laborist up at the THR HEB area. So baby catching and doing all that stuff. Um, and um, I'm a former ballerina. Um, so, uh, but don't ask me to dance these days. Um, my body is definitely out of shape. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I actually, um, my, one of my girls is really into ballet and we, I just, uh, for Christmas, I got the book Bunheads by Misty Copeland or about Misty Copeland. Mm -hmm. We watched, uh, we watched um, uh, the Nutcracker, you know, I have these five-year-olds and, and they, and it, so it's pretty nice to, to look at them and think about ballet. It was fun, fun times. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. it's, it's always fun to watch girls dance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And then on Netflix, we watched um, uh, Hot Chocolate Nutcrackers, this documentary about the Debbie Allen um, dance. <gasps> mm -hmm. um, oh, it's so good. You know, yeah. it talks about her story in dance. Um, I remember her in Fame. I loved Fame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that story was so awesome. Um, but yeah, I really recommend yeah. Hot Chocolate Nutcracker on Netflix. It was really, really cool. Wasn't there a dark, uh, dark movie? That's the one I saw with. Um... Uh, she, she oh, yeah. turned into a, it was a Nutcracker, wasn't it? Or yeah, Kira Knightley, I think, uh, with some Disney version of Nutcracker. It's no, not, it's not no. Disney. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'll think of it later. Okay. Well, we're here today um, to talk about session three. So for most, um, session three will happen uh, coming up during the week of 7 December. And the focus of this session will be on exam of skin, hair, nails. And then also we wanna get uh, the preceptor student, um, Daya, talking about panel patient and continuity. So um, Saji, what's going on in clinical skills? Oh, right now? So yeah. we're, we're already on cardiovascular. Can you imagine? Like mm -hmm. it's already cardiovascular time. So yeah, we've done HENT skin. That was the previous session. Difficult thing is that, you know, because of COVID, uh, we can't have a lot of in-person sessions. So we're doing this flip model uh, where they're half in-person, half um, on uh, Zoom learning. So it, it makes it a little bit difficult, but they're getting what they need to, to learn. Uh, it's just... Uh, you know, less hands-on, which is really difficult in clinical skills, right? Mm -hmm. um, without hands-on, um, you know, we feel like they're not getting enough practice, but luckily 
they have your course to go to and get all that hands-on they want. So um, I'm very appreciative. I think that's where this uh, really helps, uh, you know, bridge that gap. Yes. So preceptors, thank you so much for, I think your students are hungry um, to see patients in person. I've gotten some questions about, well, what do I do if my session is mostly telecare? And, you know, I, that's just kind of our pandemic world right now. I think even there can be definitely, they're still working on gathering a history, you know, they're applying these skills, acquiring these skills. So even if it's uh, mostly a telecare session, um, you know, they can still, if, if you have other providers in your clinic, doing seeing some patients, they could maybe take some vitals with the MA um, as a hands-on activity. Um, you know, there are ways to kind of work in or get these skills and you can always double back to like, I know um, my session with the student um, last time was pretty light on um, um, in-person patients. And so, you know, I, I now know, okay, we gotta go back and do some stuff that we just didn't get spent, get to spend a lot of time on. And All right. I'll just put a plug in. They, ha they do have an OSCE too coming up. Uh, so they do need to practice taking a blood pressure, their vital signs. They need to practice a skin examination. How do you do it? Give your pearls of how do you drape someone, you know, when you're doing that full body examination. Uh, talk about, you know, even gently putting in the otoscope, you know, just doing that over and over again. Um, even if it is on your MA, if they allow it, yeah. <laughs> would be fine. Uh, so yeah, that hands-on approach. And remember, there's still phase one students, so they're not coming with a lot of clinical diagnosis, but mm -hmm. they still have to know the IPA and, you know, inspection, palpation, auscultation of cardiovascular. So yes, yeah. yeah. And just, um, they, they had their first assignment for me. So they wrote um, uh, basically a, a, a SOAP, a subjective portion of a SOAP note. And um, I'd have to say, uh, I, I gave feedback to 61 notes actually, and um, just keep working on um, highlighting how you're organizing information. What is subjective? What is objective? Um, encourage them to look at the note of the patient they wrote about um, for me, you know, um, to see how you wrote up that note. Cause I think it really, there is still some, you know, and of course, as expected, some issues with, you know, how they're organizing information. And then I really, I know Tom Time is an issue and certainly um, how we navigate a problem-focused encounter in an outpatient setting is going to be different than standing at the bedside doing HMP. But I really encourage them as much as possible to try to be comprehensive, especially with review systems. So that was a big thing I saw. People were kind of reluctant um, to do a complete review of systems. And I, I, I think it's a good habit. It's a good habit to pick up early. Um, I really don't want them to abbreviate early. I want them to be as comprehensive. And so I know that's always a give and take in terms of time. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm really pushing them to be comprehensive, especially in that review of systems. But so now, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Isn't it a great time if they have telepatients to go ahead and do that you full you history? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I think strategies for how to do that, you know, wave method, I think, you know, in person, like, yes, we would like for you to do direct ops for some of these skills, right? You can't assess unless you've really observed. I understand that. But um, so you're going to, in your huddle, you're going to plan, okay, I have like eight patients today, 
three are in person, five are telecare. Um, I want to prioritize the in-person visits with you. I'm going to knock out, um, you know, a couple of these telecares to keep on time. Um, but I'll try to direct observe you with two. You know, um, that kind of that kind of session planning, I think, can really help. You don't feel like you got to directly observe all eight with them and they don't have to see all eight of your patients. That's never an expectation. I think experienced preceptors understand this, um, but also just verbalizing it to the student. You know, nobody expects you to see eight or 10 people. You know, if, if you really have a good um, visit with a couple, two or three, I think it's enough, you know, with between documenting, um, chart reviewing, you know, thinking, looking back at the notes, thinking about the skills, taking some vitals. I think, you know, in four hours, that's what you're going to be able to do. Um, Okie doke. So now uh, we'll get to the, the objectives for this session. This is what you'll see in skills eval. We'll talk a little bit about a skills eval also in a minute. But um, Shanna, if you don't mind um, starting it off for us with number one. All right, number one, demonstrate the ability to perform an examination of the skin and describe any findings using standardized terminology during oral case presentations. Yes, thank you. Saji, number two. Discuss review systems for dermatological concerns. Yes, and then number three, um, we definitely want them to write. So we'll document a complete history, vitals, general impression, HENT, and dermatologic findings, and a clinical note per site protocol. Like we said before, if they don't have access to your EMR, old fashioned papers, fine, they can shred it. They will have homework for me again. So they're gonna go on to like now objective. So they wrote an S next time after the session with you, they'll write an SO um, and we'll move through a SOAP note. All right, number four, Shanna. Discuss strategies for you to optimize continuity with a patient and prepare to enroll a patient to your panel. So um, the group, you know, Shanna, since uh, they've just mostly been, um, um, you know, having to deal with me kind of talking about all this stuff and Saji. So Shanna has really been involved with LIC from like its inception here at um, PCU and UNT Health Science Center School of Medicine. Oh, which by the way, the disclaimer, you know, our views and opinions, their own, they in no way reflect the views and opinions of the TCU and UNT Health Science Center School of Medicine. Um, that's my rapid fire disclaimer. So Shanna, um, um, tell us a little bit about this panel business, because um, I know you were there in the room when um, these guidelines were being made. Um, what do you think about this stuff? Yeah, so I think this gives students a more practical um, understanding of taking care of patients. Um, you know, traditionally in a block model, you may see a patient once and you don't know what happens, what tests got ordered, what the follow-up was, if they had a procedure, things like that. Um, so what I think is really amazing about the LIC is students can pick up a patient um, in their first year of medical school um, and uh, hopefully follow that patient over the next couple of years. So see the patient back, um, you know, say it's a patient with diabetes and when they come in for their checkups, the students there, they know their history, they know their background um, and can follow them. So they get to see that more longitudinal um, real quote unquote real medicine um, of taking care of patients. All right. So in the newsletter, so, so for this session, um, the students for pre-work, I want them to start thinking about panel and continuity and who to enroll in terms of how many patients do they have to follow? Just one. I think it would be successful if they enrolled and followed one. Um, I'd like them to be able to enroll um, a panel patient by the week of the of one February. So there's time. Um, but I think now it's a good time for 
you know, for you both, the preceptor and the students to think about who would be good to follow. And so in this newsletter, there'll be guidelines, like what's a process. It's, it's not up to you to enroll the student, uh, the student's panel patient. You can certainly suggest who might be great um, for them to follow, for them to, you know, approach. Um, you can help them kind of dialogue or game plan how to approach the patient. Um, but really this is on the student. Um, they um, um, should uh, have all the information they need to um, get a Google Voice account. Um, they can talk with you, you know, hey, I'd like to call my panel patient while I'm here in your office, um, you know, and, and see if they can come in the next time I'm here in clinic, you know, so you can kind of prompt them how they can facilitate uh, continuity. But this is, you know, really a, a student driven thing. Also, you know, I, I really, you know, these are adult learners, you can't force them to be interested in a certain patient either. So, you know, I think it kind of starts first with being curious about who they'd like to follow. If they seem like they need a lot of help or guidance, then yeah, you know, but um, it's, I also, I don't think it's you kind of, you know, and here is your panel patient. I, it really needs to be kind of a conversation in two-way street. Um, in my humble opinion, because I think, you, you know, the student's not really going to engage if you are like here, you know, this is this is your patient. Um, and then I'll be checking in, you know, later on in February, like, you know, why did they choose this patient? What do they hope to learn from this patient? Um, I'll be checking in as well. So I thought um, this will all be in the newsletter, but I thought we could talk through kind of some um, do's and don'ts, what the student can and cannot do. Let's get it out here on the podcast airwaves. We're writing it down. It's also in a guideline, but I just want to um, put it out here. So Shanna, if you don't mind, can you tell us in our best practices for contact and communication between med students and patients in our LIC, what can these medical students do? <laughs> um, yeah, so they can approach a patient to add them to the continuity panel when they're in their clinic with you guys and discuss which patient you think might be good. Um, they can take histories and perform an exam just like they normally would with their other patients in your clinic. Um, they can do proce procedures as well. Um, and then the other aspect of the continuity patient is that they can ideally follow them to other clinic appointments if available. So if you're referring them to a cardiologist, they can attend the appointment with um, the cardiologist and kind of see what that follow through looks like. Um, they can also go in different settings. So if, for example, a patient, one of their panel patients ends up in the emergency room, they can follow them into that setting. Um, and then they do need to give updates to their preceptor, um, either um, in a HIPAA compliant fashion um, via um, phone call, um, if they've heard an update from their panel patient. Um, and then our students will also be setting up a Google Voice, voice um, phone number and patients um, between eight and 6 p.m. Um, can leave a message um, and um, connect with their medical student that's following them. All right. So Saji, tell us what these students cannot do. Oh, I love to say things that they can't do. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the obvious, right? They can't give any medical advice over the phone, right? They're not yet practicing, so they can't do that. Um, they can't implement care or treatment plan without direct supervision from you, the preceptor. They cannot obviously prescribe any medications. They are not available 24 seven, 
because they have work hours and uh, they have other responsibilities. Um, they cannot be contacted for personal reasons. So I can't go pick up my prescription. Can you do that for me? You're so nice. No. Uh, so they, they're, they're not allowed to help in that way. They can be kind and say, here are some resources that your preceptor has given you, but um, they can't be, uh, they can't transport a patient to, I mean, they're not Uber, right? They cannot do that. Um, and they can't be called for emergency. Like essentially they can't be called for advice, right? They, they are there just to say, okay, I have an appointment with my cardiologist on December 15th, um, just letting you know, uh, up to the student whether they go or can go at that time. So that is really for them to know. The students have all of this available to them. They know what they cannot do, but if they ask you, you also know, right? They, yep. You also know all the rules that they're engaged with. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a, a big thing I think people got caught up last, um, last year was uh, this panel panel information looks like kind of like an agreement contract kind of thing. You know, for me, my, my take was that that's a tool. That's a tool to help people have a conversation about these boundaries um, with the panel patient. Um, to me, I don't think, you know, I, um, people wanted to know, students wanted to know if they had to like scan the signed panel information paper and put it somewhere. No, um, you know, I, and, and also I, I want to give both, you know, preceptor and student preceptors know you know, sometimes these longitudinal continuity relationships don't work out, right? And so um, somebody um, says all yeses in, in the room or on the phone, but then never shows up, you know, for other continuity appointments. And so then what do you do? You move on, you find somebody else. That's, that's okay, you know? Um, so I just want to put that out there that there is no requirement for anybody to sign anything formally, but hopefully, you know, you can coach the student to have some nice conversation. Yeah, I'm interested in being, you know, following you a little more closely. I have this thing called a, a panel. It's kind of cool. Um, you know, I'd be wanting to um, see if you could come for your appointments when I come here, that kind, that kind of um, conversation. So, all right. So we're going to talk about panel uh, next week. Um, I wanted to talk, before we talk a little bit um, um, fact of and professionalism, I wanted to talk about skills of Val. So for those that are listening and our audience has grown, um, so for those listening, a thousand apologies for getting hammer texted um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, the server was slow and I pushed the send, send alert like um, um, 8 billion times. And thus you got 8 billion texts. Um, so uh, uh, it is not spam. Um, Skills Eval is our real formative feedback tool. Um, about 38 of the 61 have so far engaged. You know, last year out of the cohort of 60, I'd say probably 58, 59 preceptors um, engaged with Skills Eval. So, you know, um, about half of my preceptors departed into phase two. And so um, I just really want to encourage everyone when you get that text next week, just click on that link. Um, you don't need a username or password. You'll see the name of your student, click on your student, and then voila, the objectives for um, the session should appear right in front of you, like magic. <laughs> so, um, so please, please use the skills of value. You can write narrative comments there. Um, and then hopefully your assessments mid-year and end of year, they will write themselves. You know, also just to get geeky, but um, the school has some EPOs. I think of them as competencies 
Um, sometimes we get confused with this terminology, EPA, EPO. EP, EPAs are discrete measurable skills, skills to um, get to that outcome, that observable competency, right? So um, the more data that we can have, you know, in all of these um, objectives, the things that you assess each time at skills eval, they're mapped to the course objectives and the EPOs. And so you're, you're hopefully painting a picture. All we wanna do with assessment is paint a picture which accurately reflects performance, right? And we do know that assessment drives learning. And, um, you know, uh, entrustment, I guess maybe a few years ago is a sexy term for assessment, but, um, but um, we want to kind of rate using an entrustment scale. So, you know, if you did everything, the student did nothing, then that's, that's not observed, you know, that, that's you doing everything. Um, if you, you, the student did it, but you heavily intervened, you coached a lot for them to get through that history or for them to listen to that heart, that's a needs improvement, you know? But if you were just kind of there, you, you did a few minor corrections, but that student was able to apply that skill. That, to me, that's a complete, you know, you are taking that first year student, we want them to be able, this is an application course. We want them to be able to do the stuff so they can progress to next year and then focus more on that medical decision-making plan aspect of all of our cognitive process of clinical learning, right? So, um, so I just wanted to kind of check in there about that stuff and skills about hopefully helps you to keep track of the things that you just didn't get to and that you'll be able to come back to later on. So that's my plug for skills about, thank you very much. Sorry for taking up a lot of airtime. So now finally we, we asked Shanna, Shanna, um, um, sent out this awesome article um, on um, um, professionalism. And so, um, Shanna, tell us about this article that you chose and, um, and, and kind of why and how is this relevant to, to us? Why, why should we care about professionalism in med ed? Like, so what, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh no, I think this is, you know, basically we already know that studies have shown that uh, students or physicians later in life who have issues with the medical board um, and patient complaints and litigation, um, if you actually go back to their medical school records, you will see documentation of professionalism issues. So I think it's a huge issue um, in medical education because if we don't uh, address it in medical education, those are the same people um, who become physicians down the road who have problems with professionalism. Um, so yeah, super important. Um, and so one of um, so one of the concerns that we often have in med ed and um, us who teach students is what we call the kind of the kicking the can down the road. Um, so basically students, we may see a problem as a teacher, but we're like, eh, somebody else will take care of it or, oh, the next group will address it. Um, it's, it's not really my problem. And unfortunately what tends to happen is we do kick the can down the road and, and never address it and then end up um, with some professional professionalism issues, either in their residency or even once they're in practice. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I do think, you know, like I say, like this is one course, LIC one is one course or the, your clerkship is one course, but you have these 61 teachers mm -hmm. and really we rely on you. You're right there at the point of learning. So um, uh, 
we, you know, we, we sometimes get to go to other places and talk LAC. And I think a couple of years ago, we went to Canada and there's this um, physician, Adina Callet out of NYU Langone. And, you know, her career has really been um, um, uh, focused on how do you remediate professionalism in med ed? It's, it's quite difficult to do, but um, she talks a lot about judgment and courage. She wants to um, empower uh, um, medical teachers to, to have the courage to make the judgment, you know, um, even defining professionalism, it can be fraught. Um, Shanna shared this article, it's a, it's a um, New England Journal uh, Medicine and Society article. It talks about responding to unprofessional behavior by trainees. And it says, um, you know, basically um, um, approaching using a just culture framework, like a, a med error kind of framework. All of these issues, they're not easy. Um, but I, I think um, when you think about kind of like degrees of the, the lapses in professionalism, I think we can all agree it's, it's, a, it's a scale or like a spectrum, you know? Um, and so, uh, of course, if you have concerns, you can always reach out to us, but we'd also want to empower you to address things like, you know, always five minutes late, you know, don't, don't hold that in. That can be a source of like, you know, resentment. I know I would be mad if all, you know, I'm showing up 10 minutes early and then you're, you know, you're there five minutes late and, you know, but also I think the whole just culture um, approach to this is also, you know, approaching from, um, from this idea of with empathy, like, you know, with, with curiosity, right. A lot of times there's a story, there's always going to be a story behind, um, what, what, what these things are happening or are happening. So, um, so I actually, I have a little case I wanted to like bring to my two, um, wise uh, colleagues here. So, um, cause I was thinking about this. So, you know, um, this is just a, what if, you know, what if you had a student, you know, and a, and a, a preceptor and, um, you know, in LAC, we acknowledge that everybody's schedules are busy. So, you know, what if you had a student preceptor and, um, we want every session is mandatory. If, you know, they don't go, they have to make it up. And so what if you, if you as the clerkship director found out that um, um, it's a new preceptor and the student didn't go, they just didn't go to a session. And it really wasn't like the student told you, you know, I'm having trouble contacting the preceptor. You just found out the student didn't go um, to the session. So we're like, you know, thinking about this, um, this sort of um, professionalism and, you know, where would you put that behavior and how would you approach that? And so maybe it's like, we're now like a, a, a couple, we're like a couple months down the road or maybe a month down the road and it that's past, right? So what would you do if you found out they just didn't show up, nobody told you about it, but here you go, you got this information. What do you do? They fail. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you know, you, I think you definitely have to do some information gathering. Um, so, you know, and I think you have to reach out to both parties. You can't just reach out to just the student or just the preceptor. I think you have to kind of reach out to both. So reach out to the preceptor, see if the students ever contacted them, what's going on. Maybe the preceptor, for whatever reason, something happened and they aren't available to precept anymore. Um, and then on the flip side, touching base with the student, um, you know, this is a requirement for the course, you have not completed this, what's going on, and maybe they've called the preceptor 20 times and it turns out they had the wrong phone number, um, uh, situations like that. So I think before you can do anything, you have to investigate the why. 
um, and then address it from there. Um, yeah. I think the concerning issue would be if they were like, well, I just didn't think it was that important. So I didn't go that that's a different framework. Um, yeah. and, and or what about, I had a test. I just couldn't, I had to study. I had to study for my OSCE. Yeah. So that happened. No. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, did, that did happen. I agree with Shannon. I mean, like, I think we'll have to investigate, right. We figure out, right. We're not going to uh, make assumptions, right. We just have to know the details of it. But once we know the details, you, we need to address it. Right. Um, it, it would be easy enough, I think, for preceptors or even us sometimes to be like, oh, it's just one time uh, it happened and uh, they're not going to make that mistake again. And I'm going to tell them uh, or maybe we're like, oh, they'll learn from this or, hey, listen, this must be too much for them. They're just a, you know, first year medical student. What do they know? Uh, they don't know how serious this is. How are they ever going to know how serious this job is unless we tell them? Right. There is no way to know it. And, uh, you know, all of these articles are, are written for a purpose. Right. They're purposely written so that we can actually address it and make sure that we're going to be able to follow through on what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, from what you were saying, Susan, uh, mm -hmm. it sounds like if the student was really purposely, it's, it's almost to a remediate discipline type situation, right? Um, regardless, I mean, of course, you will listen to the information, but that information was not relayed by the student, how it was by protocol, right? Like yeah. we, as, as a director, you did not receive the information, the student did not attend this class or course or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, we should not hesitate to be a little bit more uh, demanding of the student uh, in keeping those expectations. Um, and that's where the empowerment happens. Uh, I, I think the preceptors all are super empowered by us. We want them because the eyes and ears are at the boot level, right? Like they're on the, you know, taking care of the student and there's no way we're going to know those small flaws, even as small as they may be at five minutes late or, you know, um, even, you know, small things. Uh, yeah. What? Not introducing themselves to the patient mm -hmm. as they walk in is a is something that needs counseling, right? Coaching, right. right? That's a coaching level. It's not, okay, you're gonna fail if you don't say your name, right? But it is something that needs coaching. So yeah, the, the big picture is we want great doctors at the end of four years. Yeah. And we're not gonna get there without everyone's help in the very beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's where I would say is, as yeah. a preceptor is, is you're, you're not quote unquote, just a preceptor or, uh, you know, just a half day with a student, you know, you're a faculty. So, you know, all of our preceptors are appointed faculty with the School of Medicine and, you know, you're a professor. So you're either assistant associate or full professor. And so, you know, kind of take that title and, and put a little pride in it. And, you know, I'm, look, I'm your professor, I'm your teacher, and I'm here to tell you that your behavior is, is unacceptable and this is what you need to do to improve upon it. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and really kind of own that educator role. I think, I think sometimes with clinical teaching, it's, it's a little easier to be like, oh, well, it's not really my responsibility, but you know, if we don't all kind of take a, a little piece of that ownership of each student, then I think 
we're going to end up kicking the can and not and not allow the student to grow. Um, yeah. Think of it as an opportunity to you're allowing that student to grow because you're recognizing a behavior that that needs to be improved upon. You know, yeah. one, one more thing I would say is that as you're, um, you know, thinking about it and you're talking to the student, just document it in skills eval or just like yeah. record it or somehow narrate it because it's not to be punitive, right? It's really just to, when you're doing your evaluation at the very end, right, um, as you're, you're going through, it would also give you a point to correct you know, they corrected that behavior after I told them. Mm -hmm. That's a positive thing, exactly. right? It's not to say it's negative. At the moment, it's negative. But a week or two later, it's positive because they never did that mistake again. That means that learner is listening to you and learning from you. So, so mm -hmm. documentation is not negative always, right? right. You learn from it. So that's for your own benefit also so that you can remember things point in time. Yeah, yeah. totally. I also in this article, and I'll include in the newsletter for the whole group, but I loved, you know, a lot of times we think of like professionalism as some individual kind of character sort of problem, right? They, that, you know, it's just, but, I, but they also talk about as the function of multiple factors within the learning environment, you know? And so- um, and this, there's so much to, to unpack here, but like, I know we talk about psychological safety, you know, having empathy, respecting, you know, the everybody engaged in a relationship. And, and I think there, there's also though this balance, you know, we want continuity and mentorship. And so we have to balance the closeness of mentorship and, you know, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be liked and wanting to be um, there for the student. Um, with the distance of assessment. And ultimately, you know, it is, it is the being there for the student is also, um, you know, being engaged enough to, to address when there's a lapse in professionalism, you know, so what is it? Tough love? I don't know. But um, <laughs> I, I would even say it's, you know, it's true mentorship. Mentorship is not just when you do well. Mentorship is you know, when you're not doing well and what you can do to improve. And then hopefully either you've written it down or you remember that and, you know, say in a month's time, you know, when you first started, you were having problems really getting here on time and, um, you know, not coming prepared to the session. And I've really noticed some growth and development over time. Um, but again, the student can't do that unless you've taken the opportunity to tell them, you know, there's, there's ways you can do better. Yeah, totally. So I also, um, I, I, I love, um, you know, for me, sometimes I need, I need some categories and um, I picked up from some talk I went to about this stuff. Um, they talk about categorizing unprofessional behavior and kind of four big boxes. One would be like dishonest behaviors, um, failure to engage um, type of behaviors, disrespectful behaviors, and then self-awareness behavior. So I'll also include this in the newsletter, but that, that just looking at that kind of helped. Um, sometimes it can be intimidating, you know, when you're kind of thinking about these behaviors, but even like um, putting it in a box and then Shanna's article about sort of the, the levels of lapses in professionalism and, and kind of strategies on how to address. It, I think it was just a, a nice um, faculty development topic. So thank you, Shanna, so much for putting this on the radar and, um, and uh, for, uh, being on, on this podcast. And I know as um, LIC2 kicks off and um, um, there will be more from Shanna here. So 
Rocco. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Shanna. All right. So, um, anything else from the Grupo before we conclude? No. If anyone else has other articles they want to share, just uh, bring it this way too. It's nice to have these discussions because, you know, it's also shapes on how we can also evaluate our students, right? Um, the big four buckets versus, you know, looking at it in words of medical error maybe offers a little bit of a different. A way or view for the students because they're like, oh, it's not I'm dishonest. It's really, um, it, you know, human error or you know, at risk behavior. You know, like something different uh, for them to look at um, and put those words in mind. Okay, this sounds more professional um, uh, yeah. to me, and it's it's something I can I can change, right? It's not my character, I guess, mm -hmm. to say yeah. the least, right? It's it's a little yeah. bit different than my character flaw. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Hopefully, we doctors are not supposed. They're not born dishonest. <laughs> doctors have no room for dishonesty in their <laughs> in their profession. It's unfortunately a, a very honest profession. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Sadie is a very optimistic one, I think, out of this group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hopefully, Sadie. Hopefully. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, my friends. Well, that's it for us. Thanks for joining. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.